All right, church, if you would take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We are working our way through this wonderful letter today as we look at uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Uh, we are going to see that Christ is victorious in all of our suffering. And uh, what a great God that we serve in the midst of the hardships of this life and on this pilgrim journey that each of us are on. Okay, so if you are able to stand for the reading of God's holy word, we're going to read starting in verse 13 down to uh, the end of the chapter. Okay, so let's hear God's word. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for evil. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Amen. Pray with me one more time. Father in heaven, we pray that you would, uh, Lord, just direct our attention to you and that you would assist me, God, in the preaching of your word. We beg in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, history is full of examples of people who have had to endure incredible hardships in pursuit of a prize. I wonder if you can think of any. To them, the great value of the prize far outweighs any suffering they may have had to gone through in order to get that prize. Knowing that in the end, they were going to get that prize allowed them to go through that suffering and that hardship. They could endure it because they knew it was coming down the pike. Whether it was the, the Navy SEAL who undergoes some of the most grueling uh, training that a human could ever go through in order to be, have the honor of being called a Navy SEAL. Or maybe it's the student athlete who juggles uh, classes and family and jobs and all different things of practice maybe twice or even three times a day just to succeed in their dream of being a college athlete or maybe one day a professional athlete. Or again, maybe it's like the tech startup company, the guy who lives in his parents' garage, living on next to nothing, eating beanie weenies every day in and out in hopes of 
making a successful worldwide company. Those who have achieved great earthly success have had to really go through it in order to get to that prize that they wanted. But their eventual success or the idea of their eventual success sustained them through those difficult times. Well, Peter here shows us in this passage that this is a principle of the Christian life. It's even more true of us as Christians, that we have a sure future ahead of us that should sustain us in our present suffering. And we're going to see that here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Today we will see that even in the face of persecution, Christians are to suffer for righteousness' sake with the same attitude that Christ had as he suffered, and really knowing in the end that we are going to be victorious because Christ was also victorious. We're going to share in that same victory, okay? So with that in mind, we're going to jump in with these two main points today, and it breaks up nicely into two paragraphs for us. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the Christian's call. The Christian's call. If you remember... In previous sermons, Pastor Santo introduced this large section, and it's a section on suffering. You know, we've looked at this topic a little bit here and there throughout the, the whole letter, but in this section, there's a big part of suffering and persecution. He laid out God's two-part plan for evangelism and outreach, which was to love each other as God's people, but then also to love the world by returning blessing for insult. All right, my kids have been repeating uh, that throughout this week. They have been saying, hey, you can't return evil for evil uh, to their brother and sister when they try to do so. So pay attention to that as that's God's part of his plan for us. But we're going to continue in this suffering theme for a few weeks. But looking at verse 13, it's possible that Peter views these believers' current suffering as only a taste of what was to come. Maybe he was looking down the, the road, the future, the immediate future, and saying the suffering is going to get worse. Or as the old adage says, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And as an apostle, as an elder, as a shepherd of God's people, his job, Peter's job, was to prepare these Christians for the suffering that was going to come. And so he opens up in verse 14 with the Christian's call. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. You and I are told as Christians that we are going to suffer because that's what we are to experience. There's a great assurance here throughout this passage that you and I, as we suffer, we will succeed. We will be blessed. And we want to make sure that as Peter instructs these believers, that we suffer for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. And we want to suffer for what the text says is righteousness' sake. So already back in uh, two, chapter 2, verse 20, Peter has said, guys, there's no point in suffering for doing evil, right? Plenty of people suffer for doing evil in this world. But he's saying to us, there's no point in doing that. But now this simple statement now, he in, in this passage, verse 14, reminds them of that again. As Christians, we will suffer or be persecuted by an unbelieving world for what we believe and for how we live. 
They're going to look at our lives and they will persecute us. And as Peter has been teaching us, the way in which we suffer matters. See, our suffering, it's not just that we just bare knuckle it and do it, but the way in which we endure that suffering will either silence our opposition or will draw them near to Christ. One commentator um, compared it to a magnet, right? A magnet's got the, the positive and the negative. What does a magnet do? It either attracts or it repels. That's the response here as a, a world around us watches our suffering. It will either repel them from us and from Christ, or it will attract them to us and to Christ. But let's take a deeper look here at how Peter, and ultimately God, teaches us to endure suffering for righteousness' sake. As it is true many times, there's so much content here, and I feel like we're just going to scrape the surface of this text, but I encourage you to study it deeper in your own time and to reach out to Pastor Santo and I if you have questions. But I want to keep us in the main flow of what Peter is talking about and so that we get that main punchline that Pastor Santo and I try to labor to get you guys to see and to accept. So one question here that kind of helps frame this text for us is how should Christians respond when suffering for righteousness sake? How should you and I respond when we suffer for those good causes? Well, the first thing here that we see Peter instructs us is that we should fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, it is a natural human response to be fearful of danger when it's staring you right in the face. If you are hiking and you come face to face with a bear, it's natural for you to be scared. And I've been there. I've come up on a bear, right? It's a scary thing. But here God is trying to get us to, to zoom out and to see the bigger picture and to say as, as frightening and as unsettling as it may be to be insulted for your faith or passed over for a job promotion because you're a Christian or being told that you're no fun because you don't want to go out to the club with the girls, there's something even greater to fear here. And Peter even flips fear upside down on its head here. Let's talk about that for a minute. Make no mistake about it, the suffering that you and I experience is going to be real. But where our concentration should be is on God himself in our suffering. See, fearing something is a form of admitting that it has supreme power over you. In another sense, you could say that you are honoring it as supreme because you're subjecting yourself under the power of that which you're fearful of. Peter says, instead of being fearful of the world as they persecute you and insult you, reorient that fear to honor Christ as supreme or as holy, set apart. Reorient your commitments. Reorient your focus, your gaze, your honor, your worship to Christ himself. Don't let the suffering of hardship at the hands of unbelievers be set apart in your heart. Let that honor of Christ be set apart in your heart. Set apart from everything else. To remember that he is the one who is in control. 
To remember that He is the one who brings these things into your life for a loving purpose. No suffering is random suffering for the Christian. God brings it into our life for a specific purpose. And part of that purpose is found here in our second point um, under this text is to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within us. Verse 15 is a call to be ready, to be ready in the event that your persecutors ask you why. Why do you respond like this even though I'm insulting you? Why do you respond to like this even when you are in misery? How could you possibly be hopeful in the midst of suffering? Brothers and sisters, are you ready to give a defense for why you have hope even in the midst of suffering? Are you ready to share with that person who has harmed you why you don't harm them back? Preparation requires practice, right? No Super Bowl-worthy team wakes up one day and says, you know what, we're going to go to the Super Bowl without having practiced the week before, the months before, the whole off-season, the whole season as as a whole. Their preparation throughout that whole time makes them ready to stand toe-to-toe with the opposing team and hopefully to crush them to win that coveted title. So you and I must practice. We must practice our defense. So whether it's we do it in front of a mirror or with a family member or friend at the church, we need to be ready to give a defense of why we have the hope within us. Don't be caught not being prepared to give that defense. But we must also remember this last part that he says, with gentleness and respect, Mm. right? Don't let that angry inner defense lawyer come out, Mm. right? How many times does that angry inner defense lawyer come out where you just want to crush the opposition? No, here Jesus says to us that we are to do it with gentleness and respect, listening to their complaints, listening to their questions, listening to their maybe opposition to Christ and talking with them gently and and praying for them that Christ will work in you and through you. And really that you would want what God has done in your life to happen in theirs, right? You used to be the persecutor and hater. At one point in all of our lives, we were the persecutor. We were those opposed to Christ. And so that which should give us patience as we talk to those who are persecuting us or persecuting the faith. Mm. So we need to reorient our fear from man to a fear or reverence for Christ. And we need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. That's the call that Peter is presenting us to today. But let's face it, that is very difficult, if not impossible, to do at times. That's why we need that encouragement, that continual encouragement of Christ's life, death, and resurrection on our behalf as we encounter suffering on this earth. And that leads us to this second part of the paragraph, which is verses 18 to 22. And this is our second point, which is the basis of our call. Our call is to suffer, but what is the basis of that call? As Peter does throughout his letter, he backs up these various commands or demands of the gospel with the example and ministry of Christ himself. He goes back to that time and time again. We've already seen that in this letter, and he does it here. 
Verse 18, look there again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, at the start of this second section, I want to frame this a little bit for us so that we don't get lost in the confusing details. Verses 19 and 20, and really for that matter, verses 21, are some of the most notoriously difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. Okay, And many good godly commentators uh, have come up with different ideas of trying to understand what it is that Peter is saying here. Okay, But I want to encourage us that uh, even in, in my study I was encouraged by a pastor that we must keep these hard to understand verses in their context so we don't miss the forest for the trees. Okay, So a lot of times we get so focused and bogged down on the details that we miss the big picture of what God is trying to encourage us in today. So let's remember that he is trying to encourage us as Christians uh, in the midst of our suffering and our persecution. Okay, He wants us to know how to handle that suffering and persecution and those um, difficult situations, even emotionally difficult situations. Mm -hmm. Peter encourages us with a reminder of Christ's death and resurrection, and his even ascension for sinners like you and me. Okay? So let's keep that in mind as we dive into this section. Mm -hmm. Verse 18 reminds us that Christ also suffered for righteousness' sake, but he suffered on account for us, right? What we just celebrated here at Easter, his death on the cross was for us. Though he was sinless, he took on our sin, our punishment for our sin, so that we didn't have to pay that penalty. He did so to bring us back into a right relationship with God. That's exactly what the text says. He did that to to bring hostile enemies of Christ to be sons and daughters of God. All right, so we can all amen that, and we can praise God for what he has done. But then we get to these Difficult verses in verses 19 to 21, but we want to understand, again, why Peter brings these verses here and how they fit into his larger argument. Mm -hmm. So first, let's look at this. What does it mean that Christ preached to the spirits in prison in the days of Noah? What does he mean by that? If you've been following along with Peter's flow of thought here, you probably have all kinds of questions. What did Christ preach? When did he preach it? Who are these spirits in prison? What does Noah have to do with all of this? Right? Those are natural questions because when you read this, it's kind of a head scratcher. Like, what's going on? Well, from the beginning, let me kind of offer my humble thoughts of what I think is going on because I basically agree with one of the other Bible scholars that kind of give their opinion. Okay? So this is what I think is going on. I think that Peter is saying that Christ preached through Noah to unbelieving humans during the time of building the ark. Okay, that's that's what I think is going on. As I took a lot of time to read all the ink spilled on this, uh, I end up agreeing with my seminary professor and many others that have said this is what's going on. And I think that this makes sense in the context of what Peter is addressing. So think about it, guys. Noah, in his day, was facing suffering. He was facing persecution and ridicule for doing what? Building an ark in the middle of the desert, right? Where it doesn't rain. And he was surrounded by unbelievers. 
right? Wickedness had covered the earth, okay? And God was about to do something. He was suffering for righteousness sake. So you see all of these parallels here to the context of what is going on in 1 Peter, right? Peter was trying to encourage believers who were facing the exact same thing. And he's making a parallel to Noah's day. But even in that, Christ was working in and through Noah. He was preaching through Noah to these persecutors around them. Christ was carrying out the work that the Father had given him to do. And again, here's another parallel. Christ was being a faithful witness, just like you and I have been called to be a faithful witness. He was ready to give a reason for the hope that was within, but he did it through Noah. Okay, Noah was the instrument, the chosen instrument in that time. And now the parallel is that you and me are that chosen instrument to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And so from here, Peter continues on with this story of Noah's ark and the flood, and he relates it to baptism. And we need to kind of handle this second sticky kind of situation just so we don't misunderstand what he is saying. And so number two there, if you look at verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Now on the surface, it might seem like Peter is saying that baptism is actually what saves us. But we know that's not what is true, right? Those of us who know the rest of the Bible, especially the rest of the New Testament, know that we are saved by Christ alone through faith alone. And we all say amen to that. But then we got to come back and say, Peter, what are you saying here? How do we understand what you're saying? I found one commentator helping make this connection, and he says this. He said, as Noah fled into the ark, so we flee to Christ, and in him we escape judgment. So Christ, in a better and more perfect way, is our ark, right? Only through him do we escape the punishment for our sins. And we all say, amen. But baptism, in large measure, is a picture of this reality. Baptism in and of itself never saves anyone. Let's get that clear. Just because you're baptized doesn't mean you're saved, right? Or it doesn't do that saving act in and of itself, but it represents what actually does save us. It represents being united to Christ by faith, by receiving the forgiveness which Christ alone can give us. It represents being delivered from the chains of sin and death, of being brought to death to life, of no longer being outside the covenant people of God, but inside that covenant family of God. That's what baptism represents. But lastly here, Peter ties this into the resurrection and the ascension of Christ victorious over death, the grave, and sin. Verse 21 says that all that baptism represents comes to us how? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ not anything that you and I can bring to the table. So again, how are we saved? It's through his resurrection, he, Peter brings up here. Not anything that we can bring to the table offering ourselves in our goodness or even our baptism as something that would prove us to God as worthy. Because Jesus rose victorious and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, we can be assured that we will be brought safely through all that life throws at you and me. Bless you. Thank you. 
He, he will bring us through all the way to the end. What God starts, he completes. And because Jesus won, we win. Think about that. Because Jesus won, he was victorious, we will be victorious. So as we bring this thing to full circle, back to where Peter started, he concludes this wonderful section talking about the work of Christ even amidst our suffering and persecution. He concludes it in chapter 4, verse 1. And this is actually uh, Santo's text for next week, but I think it's a hinge verse for us in our section. Let's listen to it. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so we see here that Peter gives us the point of the previous section. He says, look, Christ suffered for sins. Arm yourself with those same way of thinking as you get ready to suffer. Guys, we are called to follow in our Savior's footsteps as we suffer. We are called to patiently endure evil, but knowing that evil will not ultimately win. Evil in this world will not ultimately win the day. Evil and evil people will not get away with it in the end. Justice will be served. The mouth of haters will be silenced. All things will be subjected under the lordship of Christ. We see here in these final verses. The glory here is that he will reign and rule as king and his people who have been saved by Christ and his work on the cross will rule with him. Christ will be victorious and thus you and I will be victorious. That's the future hope that is sure that each of us in the midst of our suffering can hold on to. Even though things in this present life look bad. You know, in the end, there will be no more suffering and persecution. There will be just joyous, glorious, restful worship forever. And that is why today you and I can arm ourselves with this thinking, that you and I can press on and endure the race that is set before us, following the example of our Savior, with our eyes continually fixed on Him, as Hebrew says. And so this is the encouragement for us from this section. Don't lose the forest for the, or so the trees for the forest. See that big picture of Christ encouraging you to keep on keeping on, to remember our sure future that is ahead of us and how that impacts our daily living, even in the midst of hardship and suffering. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you help us um, through those hardships, through those difficulties. God, you even help us through hard-to-understand texts of the Bible. Mm. And so, Lord, we pray that you would please help us as we begin or continue to put these things into practice. God, we pray that you would fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Prepare us. Even if we're not suffering right now, we know that we probably will be soon. And so prepare us that we might walk faithfully through that trial. And Lord, that you would fix our hope firmly on that which is to come. That future grace, that future gifts that you have ready for us there. Help us to press on. Help us to endure. Knowing that the end of the race is coming upon us. Lord, help us to run faithfully 
with our eyes on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.